If you're visiting with us, or if it's the first time you're here, my name is A.K. Kuruvilla. I'm one of the pastors here at Bayou City Fellowship. Uh, we're preaching through the book of Hebrews, and the message of the book of Hebrews essentially is this. Keep at it, because Jesus is worth it. So how do we get there? Well, let's look at the lay of the land of the book. Uh, if you look at chapters 1 through 4, it tells us that Jesus is far superior to angels and prophets. The hearers who were hearing this message were very familiar with prophets. So angels and prophets brought messages from God to man. And uh, our, the Bible is telling us that Jesus is far superior to all these other messengers who came before him. So if that's the case then, if Jesus is a class all by himself, then it tells us, look, we've got to hear Jesus attentively. Now if we go to chapters 5 through 10, we see that Jesus is far superior to any other priest. Now there are, here's the difference between prophets and priests. Prophets and angels brought messages from God to man, whereas priests represented man to God. And Jesus is far superior to any other high priest. Now, this is, this is very important. This means that you and I, sinful human beings, can approach a holy God because of what Jesus has done. Because of his finished work on the cross, we have an approach to God. We can boldly and confidently go to God. Therefore, not only do we hear Jesus attentively because he's superior to angels and prophets, but because he's superior to any other priest, we can live confidently. We can live confidently. And then in chapters 11 through 13, we find uh, encouragement to persevere patiently. Chapter 11 talks about faith, that is, believing even when it does not seem to make sense. And then in chapter 12... There is this whole perspective on suffering, the right kind of perspective on suffering that allows us to persevere patiently. So hear attentively, live confidently, persevere patiently. Summary, keep at it because Jesus is worth it. Now, if all that God wanted to do was give those principles, he didn't need a book, did he? He could have possibly given us 12 steps and we'd be in good shape. But that's not what he has done. So what we're going to do is continue to go through the book. And today we're going to do chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Before we do that, let's ask God to help us. The entrance of your word gives light. Lord Jesus, uh, we're here to affirm that, as well as affirm that you are indeed holy. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Thank you for allowing us uh, to be able to even say that uh, and to look to you to shed light on our very own lives, that your Holy Spirit would convict us where necessary, encourage us where necessary, and move us on in obedience, Lord. Where there is ignorance, I pray that you would enlighten us. Uh, where there is situations where we have just fallen asleep, I pray that you wake us up to the reality of your presence, your power, and your work. I pray also that if we're weak, that you would strengthen us. And Lord, if we're discouraged, that you would be our encouragement today. As we look into your word, we look at it expectantly. 
uh, with a desire to follow you as you direct us. Therefore, help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, let's look at first 1 through 4. It is one of the first, it's the first of five warnings that you have in the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is kind of like a sermon. There's some teaching, then there's some warning and exhortation, then there's some more teaching, then there's some warning and exhortation, etc. So this is the first of five warnings, and going forward, these warnings kind of increase in its intensity. So, let's start with verse 1. Therefore, okay, we stop there. Like our good English teachers who taught us, when you read therefore, you ask the question, what is it there for? Right? So we got to know what was there before that. So let's go to the previous chapter, and I don't mean to go through it in detail, but just to get a picture of what it's all about. We see in chapter 1, uh, verse 2, but in these last days, well, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son who he appointed the heir of all things. So Jesus is a heir. He's going to inherit everything. Through whom also he created the world. So Jesus is the creator. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, which means he is the one who reveals God to us. He is a revealer. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the one who sustains us. He is a sustainer. After making purification for sins, well, he is the redeemer. He redeemed us. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is the ruler. He is the supreme name above all names. That's who Jesus is. So Jesus then is not just a great moral teacher, although he was one. He, we're not saying that Jesus was an exemplary human being, a model human being, although he was one. We're not just saying that Jesus was a great healer, although he was one. We're saying that he was the heir, the creator, revealer, sustainer, redeemer, and ruler of everything. That is who Jesus is. So it would be wise to pay attention, right? So, therefore... Uh, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So we must pay much closer attention, uh, otherwise we might drift. And the word drift, uh, typically, is the idea of something just floating away, carried away by the current. So if you're in a boat, if you don't have an anchor, or if you're not moored to some place, then the currents will kind of let you drift and move you away wherever the current is flowing. So he says, if we don't pay much closer attention, we could be in trouble drifting away, and we find ourselves far gone. So what if we drift away and don't pay close attention? What's, what's going to happen? Well, let's see. We see, for since the message declared by angels, verse 2, proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So the message declared by angels was reliable. So in Acts 7.53, for example, when Stephen, uh, before he was martyred, he presented this indictment and he told the high priest, you who received the law delivered by angels and did not keep it. So the angels ordained or gave the law, although the law was 
originator was God himself, is what we read. We read about that in Galatians 3 as well. So, either way, uh, the message came through angels was so reliable, and any violation, any transgression, any disobedience received a very just punishment, or a just payment, not a punishment, just a payment. So, how would we, uh, how could we neglect such a great salvation and not expect a just payment for our neglect? That's the question. It is like this. Suppose the mailman delivers a letter to you uh, from the president. It says, from the office of the president of the United States, uh, you pay attention to that because it comes from an important person. What if he chose to land up in your door and give you the message personally? Then you would really, really pay attention because the person has come. So this salvation was not delivered by angels or prophets. This salvation, it says, was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. So this salvation was confirmed to us. It was attested to us by all kinds of signs and wonders that authenticated the message. So this is really a whole lot more serious. It is a much bigger deal uh, than what the angels delivered. If what the angels delivered, the law, was serious business, the salvation that Jesus has declared is really, really, really serious business, so we have to pay attention. Now, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So what is the salvation that we're talking about here? Typically, when we hear the word salvation, we say, well, it's uh, rescue from hell or saving from destruction, and that is accurate. But sometimes salvation is also referred to with a futuristic perspective. For example, in Romans 13.11, we read, Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Or, in 1 Peter 3.5, we hear, The salvation that is ready, ready to be revealed in the last time. So, salvation kind of encompasses all of that, at least that's, uh, that's the idea that's presented. Let's see if we can find any clues here in this passage to help us move in that direction. Uh, if we look at verse 14, chapter 1, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So the angels serve those who are going to inherit salvation. So they are already believers, but they're going to inherit something. So this inheritance includes the blessing and possessions and all of that uh, associated with salvation. If we look at verse 3, chapter 2, he says, How shall we escape? He doesn't say, How shall you escape? How shall we escape? And he was one who believed and trusted Christ. So it applies to them together as believers. And then uh, let's look at the description of the salvation. It says, um, it was declared at first by the Lord. It was spoken by the Lord. It was declared by the Lord. And then confirmed that it was true. Well, then we've got to ask the question. What was it that the Lord spoke? Did he just speak John 3.16? Was that all he spoke? If that's all he spoke, then we can talk about just trusting him for eternal life. But he spoke a number of things. He spoke about the kingdom of God. 
So, and then if you look at this whole letter, letter as a whole is written to people who believe. So, we are being encouraged to play close attention and not drift away from what Jesus said because it applies to all of us. And typically in a gathering, there might be some people who don't necessarily trust Christ. And if they listen to this and want to pay attention and the Holy Spirit works in their lives, they would then pay close attention as well. So any and all of us who hear this message, we are encouraged to pay close attention to Jesus' words. Now, that brings us a question. How do we pay close attention? So let me turn your attention to Mark chapter 4, a very familiar parable, uh, the parable of the sower. Mark chapter 4. Let me just skim through the first few verses here. Uh, Jesus begins to teach by the sea, uh, verse 2. He was teaching them many things in parables. 3, it says, a sower went out to sow. That's the parable. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Some fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, it scorched it. Uh, since it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Verse 8. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And then Jesus says this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So evidently, it's possible to have a ear and not hear. Evidently, it's possible to have two ears and not hear. So Jesus says, pay attention. So what is he saying? In verse 11, he says, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. So he's revealing to them a secret. It's not some mystery. It is something that they didn't know. He's revealing to them the secret of the kingdom of God. And what is it? Verse 14. The sower sows the word. He goes on to explain the parable. He says, the sower sows the word. Now let's pause there and read that carefully lest we miss what it's saying. The sower sows the word. Translation. The seed is the word of God. The word of God is the seed. It is telling us that the word is in seed form, just like a seed. If it has to find full expression like a tree, a tree bearing fruit, it has to take hold in the soil of our hearts. So the word alone, without taking root in our hearts, the word alone will not produce anything. It is in seed form. Yes, the word is alive and active and God in his in his uh, infinite wisdom, grace, and mercy, uses it to move us. But as we apply it, the word is in seed form. It is like an acorn. An acorn is not an oak tree, is it? But the acorn has everything in it to express itself as a giant oak tree if it finds good soil. So the word of God comes in seed form. The word of God is life. The word of God is living and active. It can only find full expression when we move toward it in obedience. So, uh, obedience, and we can contemporize it and apply it in many situations. Uh, Think about anxiety, worries, and cares of this world. Sometimes they're mild, sometimes they're very serious. 
Uh, I had a mild case of anxiety yesterday. Uh, we were in, my wife and I were in Dallas, and we were on standby tickets to come back. At 7.30 was the flight. At 7.30 p.m., they told us we have one seat and not two. So we decided, well, there's no point in you going or I going. Let's just stay here together. Now, immediately, a little bit of anxiety came in because I'm supposed to be here at 8.15 this morning, right? The next flight is at 9, so if I miss that, what would happen? So at 7.30, the moment they said no seats, I started looking up rental cars and things like that, and my mind started playing forward. I said, okay, so 9, let's say if we leave here at 10, we'll get home at 2, uh, give us a little hours, few hours of sleep, and then we can make it. Now, it's not something major. Uh, it's, it's a mild case of anxiety. Anyway, at 9 o'clock, we made the 9 o'clock flight, so it wasn't too bad. You know, this kind of thing, I tell you this, and you might be wondering, if this is the level of wisdom he has, I don't know what he's trying to <laughs> preach, right? <laughs> Shall we just say it's a case of youthful indiscretion? And... <laughs> And it happens to people with gray hair as well. So, uh, so anyway, that's just a mild case, right? But, but we have major uh, reasons for anxiety. Loss of employment, uh, uh, destruction, natural disasters like what we've just experienced, sicknesses and all of that. And in, in, into that environment, Jesus says, watch the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, right? So he's not saying that that's the, thinking about the birds of the air is an immediate solution to my problem. But he is saying that you think about it, you get the right perspective in all of this. That God, who is sovereign, can care for me regardless of my situation. Right? When I have the right, pers- right perspective, then I can move forward and persevere. Now, we can contemporize this in other ways. Say you're in church. And the preacher is preaching through Colossians. And you come to the verse in 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Or say you're in a women's Bible study working through Ephesians. And you come to chapter 4 and read verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Maybe you're in a men's discipleship group and you come across Ephesians 5.4. Let there be no filthiness, no foolish talk, no crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Now, how does the seed take root in our hearts? If it doesn't, there is no fruit, but it's got to take root in our hearts. If we don't work it, then it doesn't happen. We start, obviously, with trying to evaluate our own speech and conversation. What does that look like with friends? Is that one filled with grace, or is that different from that? doesn't have grace. What about conversation with our spouses? Is it building us up, or is it tearing us down? Something more close to our lives. What about our social media conversations? You know, we live in a time where there is uh, so much polarization of ideas, cultural, political, social, etc., and there is a lot of conversation that goes on in the world of social media. Now, how do we engage in conversation? Do we build up or do we tear down? What is our posture when it comes to conversation and we think of advancing the gospel? Now, here is the truth. 
Sometimes I have to keep my mouth shut for the case of the gospel rather than talk what's on my mind. I learned this uh, very, very, in a very hard way early on, about 20 years ago. Uh, I was very interested in apologetics and uh, did a little bit, a lot of work in there and used to speak and so on and so forth. Now, what you learn in apologetics is you have excellent arguments. You got razor sharp arguments with which you can slice people down. You slice people down and you win the argument and you lose the soul. What have you gained? You've gained nothing. So we've got to be very careful with our conversations, very circumspect, think about these things, right, and not be careless with our conversations, lest uh, it is a problem. And this word, this seed, does not take root in our hearts, so it becomes very important. If the word of God has to take hold in our lives, and if it has to find its full expression so that we become like Jesus... Jesus says the word has to find receptive soil, receptive hearts that accept it, that desire to follow in obedience. If we don't pay attention, we will drift away. There is nothing called staying stationary. We will drift away with whatever current is in our lives. So let us pay close attention. Moving on, verse 5. Um, now, it was not uh, to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. He's going back to angels here because the question is, if Jesus is Lord and his words are serious business, how is it that he was like all of us human beings? And how was it that he was just brutally nailed on a cross? So he picks up on this angels theme from uh, chapter 1, verse 14. And he says, uh, the angels were to serve those who were saved, not to rule over them. And so he's, he's going to present, using Psalm 8, he's going to show us what the order is that God created. So in Psalm 8, he goes on, uh, uh, David uh, says, How majestic is your name in all the earth? Um, and then he says in verse 3, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? When I look at the heavens and, and all the constellations out there and see how great all of this is and how tiny and insignificant I appear to be, what is it that you so care for me? That's the question. Yet you made him a little lower than heavenly beings or angels, but you've crowned him with glory and honor even though we're made lower than uh, heavenly beings or angels, we have been crowned. God has invested dignity in our lives. You've given him dominion over the work of your hands, and you have put all things under subjection under his feet. Now, uh, when you look at that, you realize that everything is really not in subjection under human feet, is it? We are not really in that position yet. That's the way God created it, but we are not in that position now because of sin and all that it has done to us. We find that death terrifies us. We find that sin enslaves us. We find the devil oppresses us. All of these are realities. It doesn't look like everything is under our control, is it? But we do have hope, verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, 
namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. So we have a representative, Jesus, who has gone on ahead of us. And he was made a little lower than the angels, but because of suffering, the Bible says, he is now crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The grace of God for us. Uh, And he is the one who is the trailblazer, the pioneer. He has gone ahead of us, representing us, so that we can follow him as we move ahead. And then, of course, verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So was Jesus imperfect that he had to be made perfect? Was he sinless that uh, he had to pay the price of his sin? And the answer is not at all. Then what does it mean to be perfected through suffering? And we, and we see what that means if we go to chapter 5 of Hebrews, look at verses 7 through 9. In the days of his flesh, Hebrews 5, 7 through 9. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. So Jesus pleaded with the Father that he might be spared this, this, this death, this agony. And the Bible says because of his reverence, God did hear his prayer. It's not that God didn't hear his prayer. God heard his prayer. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, there you go, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus learned obedience and that was what made him perfect. He was made perfect through his obedience. Jesus suffered and paid an enormous price for our salvation. He became perfect through obedience. That was Jesus' path. That should be our path as well. Pay close attention so that we don't drift away. We become perfect through obedience as the seed of God's word takes root in our Soil, the soil of our hearts. So what are we going to do with what we have heard? I'd like for us to think of it in this way. This is one way. What would people say about us? What would people say about me? Would he say, A.K., he pays attention to what Jesus says. In fact, he pays close attention to what Jesus says so that he doesn't drift away. He takes him seriously and is continually perfected as weak as he is because of his obedience, regardless of circumstances. Will they say, A.K., he just doesn't talk the talk or tweet the talk. (laughs) He actually walks the talk. Let that be the story of our lives. Father God, we thank you for what you have revealed to us. Thank you for your goodness to us, your grace, your mercy that surrounds us, upholds us, sustains us, leads us. And Lord, we have nothing to say but thank you. With grateful hearts, we pray that you bring this word home to our lives, that we may be found to be pleasing in every way, that our very lives may be acts of worship. That is our prayer as we pray this in Jesus' name.